Welcome to Season 7 of the Great Quotes for Coaches podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping coaches, teachers, and leaders of all types become their best through the use of quotes. I'm your host, Scott Rosberg. Each week, we'll discuss inspirational, impactful, and motivational quotes to help you become your best as you work to lead your teams to become their best. So make sure you've laced them up tight, you're focused on your target, and you're ready to dive in to today's great quotes for coaches. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Great Quotes for Coaches podcast. Today, we're going to wrap up a mini-series within a series that I've been doing. The, the series is on perfectionism, and uh, as I've said each week, focused really on those of us who coach and who coach perfectionist athletes, which I'm sure is all of us who coach. Because we've all, at one time or another, dealt with perfectionist athletes on our teams. And I would imagine most of us deal with perfectionist athletes every year. You know, depending upon the level at which you coach, the sports that, that you coach, although I don't know if that makes any difference, I would imagine <clears throat> excuse me, that most, if not all of you, have athletes who would fall into this category of perfectionist athletes each year. Um, and so what we are doing is a series on this concept of perfectionism to hopefully, A, highlight the concept that it's there, and and B, prepare us for you know recognizing it in our athletes, but also in our friends, co-workers, spouses, and, you know, about anybody, uh, and ourselves. And then to hopefully arm us with some ideas on, so how do we deal with it when it, when it shows up? And, uh, and then that's the series. The mini-series has been, this will be the third of the three episodes in this mini-series, Quotes from Dr. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly. And um, the, uh, well, the book, let me grab it here. The, the, the book is called Daring Greatly, How, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. And I've said, uh, I said last week, I finished the book this morning, I said last week I finished the book that morning, um, and I was I, and I said that book has vaulted into my top five, top ten, um, certainly within the top ten books that I've ever read. Uh, in, in terms of you know helping me grow in life and as a leader and in whatever other ways, but also in in uh, um, of books that I want to spread the word about to others, especially those of us in the teaching and coaching world. I read pretty much everything I read, I I read with through a lens of as a coach, but then as a, a coach who wants to help other coaches. And uh, this is why I speak, you know, I'm a presenter with Proactive Coaching. It's why I do the presentations I do, the workshops I do. And it's why I write the things that I write, and it's why I do this podcast, because 
so much of my life, 40 plus years now, has been, I've been involved in the athletic and education worlds, and I have wanted to help others become better. Um, you know, it started with me as a teacher coach, young teacher and coach, fresh out of college, wanting to learn how to do it. And as I would learn things, I was like, well, how come my teachers and coaches didn't know that, whatever the thing would have been? Or, oh, gosh, that's how Mr. Winter used to do such and such, you know? That's how, um, you know, Mr. Silkowski was in English class, you know? And so I would I would hear ways that some of them did really well. Yeah, I remember telling people, the main reason I became a teacher, or that I, I, maybe not that, but the main reason I even considered going into teaching uh, and coaching, but teaching in particular, is I would sit in classes in my high school experience and think, well, I would have done that differently because I'm looking around at my classmates not paying attention or not understanding or whatever, and I'm thinking, gosh, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, if you would have simply done such and such, you know, not that I had all the answers, but there were times where I just knew this person was not getting through to us, was not, was not, um, you know, making this stuff click. And, uh, you know, and I'm not even talking about in the subjects that I struggled, although that was part of it, because then I was the one going, this person's not getting this through to me. Um, but, it, but in the subjects that I did understand and did do well at, and I would think about alternative ways that the teacher could have presented the material so that more of us would have been able to pick it up and understand it. So I'd sit there thinking that way. Well, when I was in college, I didn't know what I wanted. I thought I was going to be a geologist. That was my favorite class. I thought, oh, I'll go. I'll be a geologist. And the more I thought about, you know, a major, you know, well, first of all, the more I studied, looked into geology, the more I realized I'm going to need a lot of math and a lot of chemistry and some physics and things that I just really did not have a, a capacity for and an understanding of. Of course, now I look back and all that I've learned, you know, I should have been so much more, you know, working toward understanding them as opposed to avoiding them. But I digress. I digress in this already digression. Uh, but I was, so I'm there at college. I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I like? And I think back to sitting in those classes, like, well, I like, I like reading. I like literature. I like history. I like, you know, talking, uh, you know, I like these communication kinds of things. And I thought I, I'd like to be an English teacher and help kids, especially young males like myself who were sitting there not being, getting into English class. Uh, I thought I want to be able to help them get some fun out of it and enjoyment out of it and, you know, maybe some understanding of it. And uh, so that's what I did. And I also wanted to stay involved with sports in some way. I was a basketball player and that was the way to do it, teach and coach. And uh, I ended up at a at a Catholic boys school in the suburbs of Chicago where I lived. Uh, further north was the school was 45 minutes north of where I would lived. But I was not Catholic, and I had not gone to, uh, you know, just a private school or in a boys' school. So here I am, going to try and teach those very people who, as I sat in my class, looking around, seeing they're not into this. And that's how I got into it. And so I, right from the start, I wanted to help others better understand something. And then as a coach, 
you know, as I just sat absorbing from all these great coaches I worked with at, at that school, Carmel Catholic High School, Mundelein, Illinois, I'm learning from fellow coaches, fellow teachers. I'm learning all kinds of things. And from my students, well, the more I learned, you know, the more I filed away. And eventually I started trying to pass some of that on to other teachers and coaches, especially as young ones, new ones would come in to the school, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years down the road for me. And I realized I had kind of an aptitude for that is to try and help the other coaches and teachers. And that's when I started really focusing on that. And when I moved to Montana, that's when I started kind of putting together some workshop kinds of things. I would write some things down. uh, And then when I moved to Washington State, that's when I met Bruce Brown and I started speaking, not for necessarily for them right off the bat, but eventually I was he asked me if I would speak for proactive coaching and, um, or I asked him if he ever was, you know, looking to ha- add speakers. And that's when he said, yes. And we were thinking about asking you. And so that's how it happened. But it all goes back to me trying to help others and, um, you know, become more, you know, have better aptitude in what they're trying to do, more competent with it and learn other ways. And, uh, and so that's what, when I read things, this is why I say all the time, leaders are readers. You have to read things to help you become better. And so when I read things, I'm constantly reading them through the lens of, A, how can this help me? B, how can this help my kids? C, how can this help me help others, especially coaches? And so that's what I did, what I do with every book. And that's what I did with this book, Daring Greatly. And oh my gosh, it is, I am going to use it. As I said last week, I'm going to be using it with my team. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't know yet how, but I know I'm going to use ideas in it with my team and I'm still working on how am I going to use the book, but oh, I can't wait well, I can because I really want to get some things honed, honed first before I do. But I am so excited to bring this concept, the concepts of this daring greatly. And so, like I said, wow, that's 10 minutes that I just spent talking about that. But I think that's important stuff that I just was talking about because, you know, I'm trying to help others become better at this. And I hope you I hope a lot of you do the same for your fellow teachers and coaches, especially those of you with experience. Uh, and I hope you, you pass on, you know, pay it forward. You know, that I remember that term. I always think of a movie. I think it was called Pay It Forward. Kevin Spacey, I think uh, something along those lines. And I didn't understand the concept until somebody explained it to me. I was like, oh, gosh, that's a great idea. And that's a great thing to do. And so I've always ever since hearing it, I've always liked that idea. And I think that's what we as teachers and coaches need to do. Heck, isn't that what teaching and coaching is? Paying it forward to our kids. Well, I. I like to pay it forward to more than just kids, and I like to try and do that with with coaches. And so here you go. That's why I do this podcast. It's why I speak and write and do the things I do. So, so today we carry on this this series. Last the last two weeks, I had four bullet points each week that Brene Brown talked about in Daring Greatly. The first were what perfectionism is not. the The second four were what perfectionism it perfectionism is. If you didn't. Um, Listen to those two episodes. Go back and listen to them. Episodes 184 and 185. Today, we wrap it up with three quotes that kind of wrapped up this area in her book. The first one, 
For some folks, perfectionism may only emerge when they're feeling particularly vulnerable. For others, perfectionism is compulsive, chronic, and debilitating. It looks and feels like an addiction. So this builds on what we talked about last week, the concept of it of perfectionism being self-destructive and addictive, right? Well, I love this. It's broken into two sentences. For some, it may only emerge when they're feeling particularly vulnerable. Okay, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing. I'm feeling vulnerable. I have to be perfect in this moment or else, right? That's for some people. But for others, it's always there. It's compulsive. It's chronic. And it's debilitating. So I have to have it. It's always around and it cripples me. It looks and feels like an addiction. Isn't that what addictions are? Compulsive, chronic, debilitating? Yeah, that is what they are. We'll be back after a quick break. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Oh, that's so good. Well, it's not good. It's bad, but it's such a great quote, though. How for some of us, it just hits us when we're really vulnerable. But for others, it's, it's always there. It's pervasive. And this is really who, when I you know thought about doing this series, and now that I am doing the series, when I talk about perfectionist athletes, that's who I'm talking about. These people who it's a compulsive, it's com- it is compulsive chronic and debilitating right? because they're always, they always feel this way. They have to be perfect. A lot of areas where this can come from. Most are self-inflicted, self-induced, but for some or many, I think a lot of it is because it's, we talked about it last week. They folk, the focus of perception, uh, they want to please, They want to please their parents. That's the biggest area where it comes from, trying to please parents. But then as they get older, want to please teachers, want to please coaches, want to please friends. Oh, you know, oh, I have to look perfect in front of my friends. Want to please whoever. So really good stuff there. All right, second quote. To claim the truths about who we are, where we come from, what we believe, and the very imperfect nature of our lives, we have to be willing to give ourselves a break and appreciate the beauty of our cracks or imperfections, to be kinder and gentler with ourselves and each other, to talk to ourselves the same way we'd talk to someone we care about. Oh my gosh. This is so good. So this is probably the first of the quotes that I've been talking about in this entire series on perfectionism. I can't remember 
if a few weeks ago I, I did this, but I know that for the Brene Brown quotes, this is the first that's now saying, okay, so here's some ways to deal with it. And it comes first in this first sentence to claim truths about who we are, where we come from, what we believe in the very imperfect nature of our lives. For us to claim the truths to those things that, okay, I admit that I have these things. I am not perfect. I have these imperfections. All right. We have to be willing to give ourselves a break. You know, cut ourselves some slack on this concept of perfection and appreciate the beauty of our cracks or imperfections. You think the Liberty Bell is sitting there in Philadelphia going, gosh, I would be so much better and such a more important bell if I didn't have this crack. No. In fact, isn't the crack one of the things about the Liberty Bell that makes it so outstanding, so special? Because it does have a crack, and yet it still has such important um, uh, meaning in the history of America. And so that, that Liberty Bell... I sure hope it's not sitting there wishing it didn't have the crack. I sure hope it realizes, holy cow, look how great I am. Look how much power I have possessed. Look at how much excellence I have helped to create in this country and ultimately this world, even with this crack here, right? So to appreciate the beauty of our cracks or imperfections, we have to be willing to give ourselves a break. And appreciate those things. And then we have to be kinder and gentler with ourselves and each other. Okay, we got to be okay with the fact that I'm not perfect and that's all right. And you aren't perfect and that's all right. And you and I both shouldn't be worried about being perfect and that's all right. And then the final sentence in this one, to talk to ourselves the same way we'd talk to someone we care about. Think about how often you or someone you know who is a perfectionist or is having a perfectionist moment speaks so harshly to himself or herself. And again, it might, not again, I guess, but it might not be manifested out loud where you actually hear it, but you're thinking it the way you're speaking to yourself. But there are times where we will speak to ourselves. You know, you'll hear somebody in a, uh, playing a sport and they'll make a mistake. The classic would be like a tennis match. And you know, you get two people and it's kind of quiet. They're quiet while they're playing. And all of a sudden the point ends and you hear them, come on, John, or whatever. What are you doing? You, You know, and they, they yell at themselves, right? I think we've probably all done this. And if we haven't done it out loud, we've certainly done it in our own heads. But we'll talk to ourselves in that way, in a way we would never talk to a teammate, a friend, a loved one. I would hope in some ways. Now, nothing wrong with holding those people accountable. Yes. But you're doing so from a place of love. You're doing so from a place of respect. You're doing so from a place of, I'm trying to help you, right? Whereas most often, When we talk to ourselves in this perfectionist way, we're doing so in a way of that's total criticism, judgment, 
blame and shame. Those are the things that Dr. Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, is talking about as being the things that we need to work to overcome, to limit, to eliminate from our own self-talk and our talk with others and our own, you know, how we, how we go through our days, you know, criticism, uh, blame, the, the blame and shame. Um, you know, these are all things that really cripple us. Well, again, is that how we talk to other people? There's a whole thing. I think I did it on, I, I mentioned, I did mention it last week on shame. That's a huge part of the book. And it got me thinking of the phrase that I've used with my dog, shame on you. And I said last week, but how many times did I say that to my own kids? And I don't think it was many, but all it takes is one probably. And now I'm creating shame in them as opposed to, hey, let's deal with the behavior. You know, it's not that you're bad. You, you did something bad or you did something, a bit, made a bad choice, whatever it might be. But we don't need to shame them. Well, we also don't need to shame ourselves. You know, so talk to ourselves the same way we'd talk to someone we care about. Oh, so important. And the last one. Perfectionism is exhausting because hustling is exhausting. It's a never-ending performance. She she had mentioned earlier, I think it came out in the uh, the quotes two two episodes ago how, you know, it's a constant hustle, right? You're you're always hustling, you're always working. Now, Hustle is a positive thing in our world, right? That's good. But if it's the kind of hustle where it's never ending and it's I'm, I'm constantly hustling for perfection, no, no, that isn't good. And it is, as she says, exhausting. Right? It's a never ending performance. And that's the real focus here. You are always on. Why? Because you are always worried about what other people think and their, as we talked about last week, perception of you. And so you're constantly performing when you're in this perfectionism world, in this world of I have to be perfect. Yeah, it is never-ending, and because of that, it is exhausting. So get off the perfectionism, uh, you know, hamster wheel, Get out of the perfectionism rat race. Call it whatever you want. Um, but it, it it will exhaust you to the point where you're not going you're not going to be perfect. We talked about that last week. So quit trying. Because the more you try, the more you are exhausting yourself and the further away from anything near perfection <laughs> you're getting. So, oh my gosh, these are so good. Again. Daring Greatly, Dr. Brene Brown. I can't recommend it enough. You must pick this book up. Um, it is so good. And uh, yeah, and and this, what I just did, came uh, in five pages. The, 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 the majority of it came in three pages, but that's all it was. Five pages of this, whatever, 250 page, however long it was. So this is just one small aspect of this incredibly powerful book, Daring greatly. I will be doing something on Teddy Roosevelt's The Man in the Arena, where she got the title um, for her book uh, from. I will be doing something on that at some point because it's such a such a great um, 
poem. And I, I may have done it in, you know, the first year of the podcast. I don't remember. But uh, it's time to revisit that at some point. But not next week. Next week, we move to another person. So this might be, I don't know if it's going to be a little mini-series. No, it's not. I don't, I don't, I didn't put down enough quotes from her for um, a mini-series. But I do have five quotes from Dr. Jen, a clinical psychologist who is a perfectionism expert. So I'm going to talk about her ideas on this and see how they maybe blend in with Dr. Brene Brown's or not. I would imagine we'll see a lot of overlap, but we will see. Um, so yeah, so we will move to another person who is, um, you know, focused on this concept of perfectionism next week on the great quotes for coaches podcast. And we will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review and then subscribe to the podcast. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions are really helpful in getting more ears and more listeners getting a chance to hear podcasts. What we want to do is spread the messages of hope and inspiration from these great quotes to as many coaches, teachers, parents, and leaders of all types as possible. Also, check out our Slam Dunk Success site at slamdunksuccess.com and the Slam Dunk Success YouTube channel, where we have much more for you to help you on your road and your journey to success. I look forward to serving you again next time with another great quote for coaches.